Hi, this is Stephanie Watson. Welcome to Gen X Replays After the Show podcast. This is our first episode of a new series on the channel that we're calling Throwbacks. Joining me for Throwbacks is friend and fellow Gen Xer Frankie Hagen. For Throwbacks, Frankie and I chat about a topic from film, TV, toys, and trends that heavily influenced us as Gen Xers. And while we center on that topic, we let the conversation flow to our broader Gen X experiences. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode where we talk about Masters of the Universe. Well, it's our first time having you on the podcast. So for this first podcast of you and I talking together, Frankie, why don't you introduce yourself and and tell folks a bit about who you are, what you do, and your Gen X experiences? All right. Well, I am Frankie Hagen. I uh, am a native here in the, the Raleigh, North Carolina area. I do live in Wake Forest. I was born January 11th, 1974, so I am absolutely a Gen Xer. Right in the middle of being a Gen Xer and having that sense of perspective. So I'm going to help you stay on brand, right? That's (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, I am a a real estate broker in uh, the Greater Triangle area, and I've done that for you know, more than a decade or so plus, you know, probably since like 2003. And I uh, was a professional dance teacher as well for years. And uh, that's how uh, me and uh, your host intersect here mm-hmm. in yeah. the dance world. And uh, I'm actually known as the dancing realtor uh, just, because of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just because of how I intersect in that world. Yeah. And uh, I also am an MC and wedding personality here in the triangle as well. So I do professional DJ work and uh, I do people's weddings, of course, and I do corporates and things like that. When I was younger, I did more bars and nightclubs and all that kind of stuff, but I'm definitely very married with children at this point in my life. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I try not to do those things where I'm at a a bar until two o'clock in the morning anymore. Right. Oh, shoot. 10 o'clock comes around and I just, I'm ready for bed. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I would have to wait until my youngest daughter goes to bed so I can take back over the main television and watch my Netflix shows and mm-hmm. things that I want to see before so I can, I can chill out. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't have the, the kids part, but I do feel pretty settled and, um, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, I'm Stephanie Watson. I am also Gen Xer, born in 73, woo, May 73. You got a year on it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and my background has been, you know, Frankie, as I hear you describe your background, I think, uh, you know, we have some similarities in the fact that you know, our career paths are kind of all over the place. We do, you know, I've, I've been a teacher, I've been a tech writer, I've been, you know, in the teaching world, I've been in middle school, I've been in adult ed, I've <laughs> now work in the IT industry, I've been, you know, um, been through the uh, series, you know, Gen X is, you know, early in our careers, those of us who were in the IT industry or in the software industry, you know, saw the bubble burst and layoffs and I I went through all that. So I, you know, that's kind of where I came from. And 
we're supposed to be one of the most adaptive generations, is what they say. <laughs> that we're, That's we're, what they uh, say, yeah. That we're uh, more likely to be able to change and do things a couple of different times. It's like, uh, it's like, because we're, you know, if you think about it, we're the generation that remembers, you know, uh, uh, CBs and then chat rooms, you mm -hmm. know, and yeah. having only a handful of television channels and then having a thousand, <laughs> yes. you know, you know, like we remember the world before everything was plugged in and you could have anything you want mm -hmm. and the yeah. world after. So we, we kind of sit in a very weird position. I think yeah. compared to some of the other generations of what our uh, appreciation is of things. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it makes us more specific about our nostalgia and our hobbies too, in a lot of ways. You know, like yeah. like, uh, like we can remember what it's like to go dig for a comic book or a toy at a flea market. Just the idea of the hunt for something mm. before you know eBay showed up and you could buy anything you want if you got the money. <laughs> this is true. You know, it's, it's, it really did change things. Yeah, so we've we've kind of got that multi perspective, I think. And so our our pop culture is great. And you know, even if our generational name makes us sound like a a tomb of a team a tomb a team of mutant vigilantes with <laughs> pain wallets, sounds good. Yeah, I'll I'll take that. That's not bad. <laughs> And today we are going to kick off this throwbacks series uh, talking about one of my favorite franchises from the 1980s, Masters of the Universe. <laughs> or as we called it as kids, He-Man and She-Ra. <laughs> we forgot about that Masters of the Universe thing. I, you know, it was about He-Man and She-Ra. <laughs> the cartoons came in and that's what it was. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was uh, an interesting time in what, and we were talking about this before recording started, that you would have toys and cartoons paired together and marketed together as almost like as a combination thing because Master of the Universe was created by Mattel. Yeah. Mattel is a toy company. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then they got Filmation to make the actual cartoon. So I, yeah. I, I don't know. Do you, I think do you the, th the, the legend partly goes that Mattel saw the, uh, the money that was being made off of the uh, Star Wars toys. I wondered about that. Yeah. And the idea was, what can we do to capitalize on that early on? And, you know, because there wasn't a movie franchise that they were specifically, like, I've, I've heard, I've, I've often wondered if they attempted to get Conan as a licensing first. <laughs> yeah, <'Cause>, possibly. Because, <laughs> like, like, if you were going to insult Masters of the Universe, like, you know, you would basically say it's a watered down Conan. Yeah. On, on one level, it's, it's Conan made more kid friendly because... I mean, when we look at Conan, it's like, you know, you know, like the women falling out of their clothing and you know, <laughs> yep. it's like, uh, you know, like, like the, the Cthulhu type monsters, you know, like mm -hmm. the, he's battling and, you know, so it's, it's definitely sword and sorcery, but it's got a very dark adult edge to it from those mm -hmm. old darker sci-fi things that, 
that came that came about before that. So yeah. He-Man has those elements, but it's 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 definitely a lot more sanitized for for impressionable children watching their their cartoons in the afternoon after school. <laughs> yes, for real. Yeah, I mean, I I had uh, you know Star Wars is always credited as being like the innovator in the toy space uh for combining a toy with a movie or or tv franchise and yeah i i certainly would believe that they were the trendsetter that then led everyone in the 80s to say hey let's make toys and cartoons at the same time we'll put all the cartoons on tv when the kids get home and want to tune in to the 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 tv because they're you know our our generation was probably the first generation that was um considered the latchkey kids you know where after school we were kind of on our own until the parents got home in a lot of cases there's a couple Uh, of hours of programming that was all us you know mm -hmm. you know the the funny thing to me with my memories specifically of the he-man and the masters of the universe toys Mm -hmm. I was aware of the toys before mm-hmm. the cartoon. Interesting. I think the toy had a little bit of a lead before the cartoon itself. Do you remember when those action figures, they, the little blister packs that they came in, they mm-hmm. came with a little mini comic book. Do you remember that? Like they, I uh, do remember that. A little square thing. Yeah, like a yeah. little square comic. And when they first released the, uh, the first little set of He-Man action figures, the comic book that came with them, and it was like three or four different ones that came with them, mm-hmm. had nothing to do with what would eventually be the cartoon. <laughs> it was a very different story. It was very much like cut from the cloth of Conan, like he mm. was coming from like a village, and it was these like bold, you know, broad strikes of, and now I'm battling Merman, and now this, you know, and it's, <laughs> but it was very more simplified, you know, sword and sorcery. With, without a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the different parts of the story that we associate with it, you know, based on the cartoon and how the mythology of it came together, it was know, very raw in that form because uh, the, the comic books were almost illustrated in that that kind of Frank Frazetta kind of maybe Frank Frazetta is a little too dark. Definitely the early Conan style, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And then it, and then it was like when the cartoon kicked off, those little comics were immediately replaced. With the ones that reflected the cartoon right but the original ones were definitely not that <laughs> very much something different and I, I i just remember the first ones and the fact that all of the action figures basically had the body of lex luger uh-huh professional. <laughs> at that time all the guys were roided up right 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 it was the same like body form with just some modifications around the chest or, or you know different heads <laughs> I, mean, I mean i know a lot of i know a lot of girls who will say that the barbie dolls gave them complexes about what their body type should be and things like that growing mm-hmm. up yeah. but i would put forward that if a guy was comparing himself to He-Man action figures, he was probably not in luck no. either. No. <laughs> was, like, yeah. The whole cast looked like they worked out at Gold's Gym. Well, and I wonder if, you know, 
I, I wonder how people have perceived that. Like, I would love to get a, like a cross-section perception of that from the male perspective, because it was an unrealistic body form as well. I mean, <laughs> I mean, not only did it seem like unattainable or something that, you know, only certain people with, with that much dedication could potentially get close to, but it, you know, it just wasn't even close to normal. <laughs> no, oh. it looked like you had to take steroids to achieve whatever that, whatever that would have been. But mm -hmm. I mean, and I, and I guess, again, you know, it's that, that aping the old, you know, Conan type illustrations or yeah. you know, trying to go for that hardcore. Remember how many, because you got to think back as a Gen Xer to that time frame. you know, nowadays, we are actually spoiled by good sword and sorcery and good fantasy. That's true. We're, we're spoiled by it. Because like the, the, the Lord of the Rings movies were excellent. Mm -hmm. The, uh, you know, I, so many things that were done at that time were excellent. And I would say the best sword and sorcery movies that came out early on in the 80s were probably arguably either the first two Conan movies mm -hmm. or you know, maybe Excalibur, if you want to argue for an Arthurian movie. <laughs> but, but then there was a whole lot of garbage. There was a whole yes. lot of really bad 80s, you know, fantasy, you know, type of things that were just, mm -hmm. and it was always, you know, like a few blonde models falling out of whatever they were wearing and, you know, <laughs> and a guy with no shirt on. And it was, it was all still kind of cut from that barbarian idea as opposed to the more Tolkien-esque, you know, European fantasy. Right, right. So many terrible movies, you know, at that point in time that I think the early parts of it pull from. But at the same time, when you get into those kind of, those barbarian gladiator-esque type characters, mm -hmm. you know, the thing that, the thing that striked me when I got older and I would look at those action figures, I would be like, it's like, wow, I mean, I wouldn't have thought about it at the time when I was playing with him as a kid, but this is a very like homoeroticized male <laughs> fantasy, you know, like a guy in an airplane. Do you like gladiator movies? <laughs> you know, you know kind of kind of thing where you're you're looking at it. You would as a kid, it doesn't you don't think about it because it's completely right. innocent. You know, at that point in time, you're like, yeah, a lot of big you know, guys in loincloths wrestling around and mm. battling and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's a little bit of that on the cusp of what it is, you yeah. know, but, but, you know, like, of course it's not the be all and end all of it, but, you know, but it, yeah. it's still, it's, it's there, you know, because that's partly where the art goes too. But, mm. you know, but then of course, you know, those cartoons came along. Yeah. That was your introduction, the cartoons? I Yeah, we saw the cartoons well, first. I mean, I was 10 years old when that came out. So my memory was of seeing the cartoons first, but it's possible we had the toys first, uh, but it would have been so close in time that we didn't sure. realize the difference. But my brother was in the... Uh, as six to eight years old when that was coming out for the first time and what we experienced was a strong gender bias for these toys and it was a time of course where 
toys were being very much marketed to either a boy or a girl and sure. masters of the universe toys were marketed to boys my mom bought into that fully uh and thought that all the toys uh were for my brother and uh and thus even though i played with them quite a bit um they were all still considered my brother's toys and they were all neatly placed on his shelf <laughs> <laughs> did you have a, a favorite at that point in time oh tila i oh, mean yeah god love some tila uh she was she to me uh was this first representative i had of a female who was also strong and smart and a contributing member to the team not just a sidekick <laughs> and so that meant a lot to me i didn't realize until i got older that that actually made that kind of influence on me uh she might have also been my first girl crush i don't know <laughs> You know, it would be another 10 years before I acknowledged I was bisexual. So, um, <laughs> but I played with Tila a lot and I played with uh, Prince Adam a lot. For some reason, I, I wasn't into He-Man as much as I was into his alter ego. So, <laughs> do, you, do you feel the same way like the Clark Kent thing versus Superman, do you think? The, uh... Uh, not really. I still, I still see clark and superman as the same but for for the the he-man prince adam thing there was actually like the magical conversion the by the power of grayskull you know um and uh, you know a magic thing whereas with superman he's just putting on glasses and wearing his hair different and <laughs> and his clothes different so i don't feel like he's different but for some reason with with he-man and prince adam i always felt like they were different even though it was an alter ego thing yeah you know that's it's, it's interesting now that i really think about it because like with the superman alter ego aspect of it you got the fact that in many ways clark Kent is the costume and superman is the actual person so yeah the thing that actually makes it more interesting as a character is the fact that he desperately wants to be just like us Mm -hmm. you know the flawed the flawed aspect of that you know to identify and to belong but you know with with prince adam you know like the voice was you know the voice actor who was portraying it you mm -hmm. know and now and now like to question this in terms of modern gender roles and things like that <laughs> i would say the voice actor was maybe putting it on a little fay when he was mm -hmm. doing prince adam mm -hmm. and then and then it would totally be the amplified, like, I butching work out all the, yeah, butching it up, you know, like, <laughs> like that huge, like, divide between the two. I yeah. mean, but the overall opinions and things expressed by the character was still, it was like, like the same guy, like, gets pumped up to, like, some, mm -hmm. some huge level in terms yeah. of uh, who he was becoming. Like, I'm, I'm more now than what I was. I'm He-Man. I'm this super masculine idea <laughs> mm -hmm. you, know, you know just in terms of uh, what it would be literally so. and i i would say that i was kind of the opposite with shira when that came out is that i preferred shira over princess aurora uh mm. so like in, in terms of 
you know, if, if I was going to pick one over the other as a preferential character, you know, who I would prefer to see, I would prefer to see more of She-Ra than, than her alter ego. And I think that goes back to that same thing that I liked about Tila is that she was a strong, smart character who was part of the heroes. She was part of uh, saving the day. Now, they did not hesitate to still put these to still put these females in a damsel in distress situation no, <laughs> once in a while. Uh, you know, there was still gender bias in the stories uh, in that respect of, okay, let's capture the girl and, and make the guy come get her and be the hero, you know? So there was, there was still some of that in there, you but know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, like all the characters are very archetypal in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, until they got into later toy runs when they were just going for gimmicks and things like that. But mm-hmm. it didn't like all of them are very archetypal in terms of, uh, you know, almost being like Greek gods in terms of uh, how they represent or who they're supposed yeah. to be. And for a child, I think that's great because then you have these like, well, this is the guy who's really good with equipment and stuff. So that, <laughs> you know, like everything is very like clear cut and straight. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like all the stories we probably thrill on with anti-heroes and things now that have all these right. gray about them. It was, it was meant to be very, you know, very straightforward. In terms of, and I got you got to wonder like what the uh, the creation process is because if this is all just like we want to make some money so let's put together this thing we'll have a transformative character okay here's these these monsters so what's the story okay so this is the bad guy you know? <laughs> so what's the story why you know we're gonna create this cool castle play set so what's the story with it you know because right. I have a feeling that's how a lot of that stuff was pitched. Mm-hmm. at that point in time and then it's like you gotta I think what was it I remember the cat the battle cat was actually a cat toy that was going to be used for something else oh a different toy line and they uh brought it in and created a saddle for it and everything like that so battle cat was kind of like a an ad oh, oh yeah okay we can use this toy that we were gonna do this now we can sell it for more money there you go you know, <laughs> to put that together. So capitalism at its best. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I wonder, you know, at that time, there was a lot of pressure to do, to reuse things like that because casting for toys was still not a, a you still had to start with a sculpture Yeah. Uh, that someone actually, you know, took time to, to create the sculpture. And if you've taken time to create the sculpture and then create, uh, molds and go through casting processes you already have a manufacturing process in place for that item um, so it made sense uh, yeah. quite a bit to to do that and um, I remember I was also being the little engineer that I was always looking for how things were put together and that didn't stop with uh, action figures. So I was like, oh, look, there's these little bands that hold the legs onto the body. And, <laughs> and of course, in examining them, I popped a couple off. I'm just... Oh, I would switch the arms <laughs> in a while. That was because you could pop those He-Man action figure arms off really easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you could like give He-Man a blue arm and make up a story about why his arm was blue. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Yeah. You know, like as a person who is an English major, you know, and I was influenced by a lot of uh, fantasy stuff. Like as I got a little older, they're getting mm -hmm. into things like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. You would almost say that for a lot of people, because the type of fantasy that He-Man represents is, I guess, what we would call sword and sorcery. You yeah. know, it's, it's more of that specific type of fantasy element. For those, for those of you at home, you know, <laughs> high, like Tolkien stuff would be what we call high fantasy, okay? High fantasy, right. That would be like high fantasy. And then you have like things that incorporate like horror elements, like, uh, like a dark fantasy, like uh, the Black Company novels or something. But, you know, like this is like pure sword and sorcery where you, you can even have like some like technological aspects going into it, things like that. I mean, you can argue, it's the same thing. People will talk all the time and say like, Star Wars is sci-fi and in my mind I'll go, it's science it's fantasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not sci-fi. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Star Trek is sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it is telling, you know, how the story is told. What is the focus of the so story? And in a sword yeah. and sorcery kind of thing, it's a lot of tropes around, you know, the hero being the great swordsman who is strong and powerful and the uh, damsel in distress kind of situation where he's going to save the damsel or he's going to save a friend or he's going to rescue the village, you know, uh, you know, kind of like a, a repeated theme of that one hero being the hero of the day. Yeah, you know, the author of uh, Conan, Howard, he was very good friends with uh, the uh, author of uh, all of the Cthulhu mythos. Oh, I didn't know that. Nice. And he would use a lot of the mythos uh, elements mm. as like the, the monsters in Conan. Mm. So he would have those kind of things. And so like those kind of battles versus the evil sorcerer kind of character and, mm -hmm. you know, all that. That's very much in He-Man at its heart, you know, you're on that bottom is all, is all part of it. I think for me, the, uh, when you have those like kind of broad strokes, when mm -hmm. you're a kid and you're playing with toys, it makes like uh, storytelling elements a lot easier for you. Yes. In a lot of ways. You know, I have clear memories of like growing up in Cary and living in a house that had one of those uh, daylight basements, you know, mm -hmm. and my father, who is a contractor, I remember like in that basement, he had a huge roll, several huge rolls of carpet that were pushed up against this one wall. And they kind of descended almost like a little mini mountain range. And mm -hmm. me and my brother, set up our castle grave skull set there on those rolls of carpet oh nice and it was like we had this whole like little mini world that we were playing and we were climbing on hills and, and telling stories while we were in that corner of that basement so that's like a clear clear memory you mm -hmm. know i mean that would have been about the same time like time frame wise that jim valvano won the pennant with nc state just oh yeah to give somebody a state of like when that would have been but you know you have like and how it affects your family too because i have clear memories of my mother in a bathrobe drinking a cup of coffee and doing the whole i have the power thing <laughs> you know, and pointing you know just from being aware of whatever cartoons we were watching as a kid oh that's great <laughs> yeah, you know this it's all part of it
So where are we on your topic? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are all over the place and that is fine with me. Okay. Uh, well, I was going to go back to talk about the fact that it was on, you know, it was that afternoon cartoon and yeah. I remember it. I remember there were three cartoons that we were really into me and my brother. It was He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, G.I. Joe, and Transformers. Yeah. Yeah. They were all, all around the same time. They were all around the same time. And, mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. as that three or four year window, it was like, it was those. And then as, as the He-Man ones wound down, that's when they eventually introduced Voltron and Thundercats also into the roll through. They were all mm -hmm. part of those. It was like, I just, there was like a whole set of all those that all came through that time frame. Yes. Yes. And I, I have to admit, I, I didn't, I was not one of the Thundercats people. I feel like I've betrayed my entire generation by not having watched Thundercats. Um, but I think I had hit a point that I was too old and maybe my brother was wasn't watching end. it. Yeah. You know, it if, was... if my brother wasn't watching it, I tended to not watch it because he, he did kind of influence what we watched in the afternoons. It was on the back end of that because there was like a couple of them that were failed properties that also came out around that time too. Mm, mm -hmm. It was like Silverhawks, remember? And, I remember uh, that, yeah. Yeah, was, but you know, you're absolutely right. Before that, the, you know, the He-Man cartoons and then G.I. Joe and Transformers kind of controlled it at one point in time. Yes, absolutely. Because when He-Man came out, I want to say they did the entire run of He-Man cartoons, and then the She-Ro cartoons kind of like picked up from the end of He-Man and continued yes. off the she -Ro. According to the timeline, it did. Yeah, because uh, He-Man ran from 83 to 85, and then She-Ro started in 85 and ran through 86. Yeah, that's what I thought. I remember, because they weren't really making new He-Man cartoons at that point in time. It was like mm -hmm. the character would maybe show up on She-Ro once in a while, you know. They, they were in reruns, of course. Uh, you know, reruns ran a lot uh, for a while there as well. And, you know, going back to the toys, you know, Mattel hit a point where they had to start marketing new things because you had, you know, more and more and more characters showing up on the show, yes, but at some point it was always the same characters. So yeah. how do you keep making money and selling your main characters? Well, you put battle damage He-Man out and, yeah. <laughs> you know, battle damage Skeletor. Uh, guy who can squirt water and then you have the guy who's a camera. <laughs> yep. You know, while we're reaching for stuff at the end there. Mm -hmm. So they, they just kept putting out different versions of the same characters there for a while. I don't think they found the success with She-Ra that way they wanted, but He-Man had 130 episodes, according to what I found, and She-Ra did have a full 93 episodes, so they had some success with it, enough to continue producing that many episodes, at least. You know, I remember still watching the She-Ra cartoon. You know, I didn't have any sort of boy aversion where it was like oh girl stuff you know oh right right yeah. i mean because it was like you were in a universe that was already established and there was already characters that you kind of knew and yeah you know, it was like you were still getting another window into what was going on so it didn't mm -hmm. really 
it, it didn't really occur to me that it was any different, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there was a period of time where they were actually jumbling the episodes, where like, maybe they'd show an He-Man episode or maybe they'd show a, a She-Ra episode. So it was all Yeah, on. they paired it at one point. Where yeah, they, yeah. It was like a rerun of He-Man with a new episode of She-Ra or something. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, you know, I think that's probably one of the things in the end that probably hurt it as a franchise because I saw the movie with mm-hmm. Dolph Lundgren as mm-hmm. He-Man in the theater. Mm-hmm. I remember being not that impressed by it. <laughs> no. <laughs> child. I remember, it, it, it all loved Dolph Lundgren, who's a lovely yeah. actor. <laughs> he's a lovely actor and he's done some wonderful movies. Yes. He's, his work in Rocky and the, uh, the more recent uh, Creed sequel is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so no insults to Mr. Lundgren, but, no. but that movie was just a really bizarre movie. <laughs> you know, super bizarre. It was sort of He-Man. The guy who played Skeletor was, he was good because he was kind of doing like an, almost like a, an old school Machiavellian kind of weird villain kind of thing that would, yeah. appeal, would appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the other stuff was kind of, kind of that thing that, you know, they also did when the, uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies came out where everything was kind of stylized dark. I don't think that's necessarily what we would have needed with He-Man. Yeah, I think it had aged a little too much. They did do some animated like specials, but it was that movie that really brought it into a live action. But like you said, yeah, they changed the style of it. It it was He-Man because it had the same characters and, you know, had Eternia referenced in it. (laughs) Yeah. But it wasn't the he-man we were familiar with uh i'm not sure what audience they were targeting with that is it the people i i assume i have to assume it's the same kids that were watching the cartoons yeah they would give us a little bit of nostalgia you know Mm -hmm. for for what we had already seen but yeah i mean and the fact that there wasn't a clearly laid out story or arc Mm-hmm. It was being built on. It was more an episodic, you know, fantasy sort of thing with broad strokes types of types of stuff. It's yeah. You know, I remember. I remember years later, they tried another run of He-Man figures that were not all buffed up, and I remember mm-hmm. seeing it at the toy store, going, you know, that looks like a surfer in He-Man <laughs> clothing. <laughs> right. You know, it's like that's not He-Man. You know, like, it's <laughs> you know. And then much later on, I think in the last decade or so, there's been a few toy manufacturers who've copied the original He-Man style, but made them more with like all the cool articulations and things that people who like McFarlane type toys and things love. And they're beautiful. I actually, I saw one at one of the last cons I went to and I like picked it up and was just like, oh, wow, look at this. This is beautiful in terms of how it was put together, where it captured everything that you would remember about the older figures. Yeah. You know, like to get the Gen Xers right in the heart, you know, but then at the same time, it had all these modern aspects of how an action figure would work. So it was very impressive. In the early 2000s, they relaunched a modern cartoon series that kind of uh, actually worked out a plot line and a Mm storyline, a lot more well thought out for He-Man. And and I remember watching a couple episodes, just kind of like, oh, wow, this is actually very well thought out for He-Man. Mm-hmm. But it was, again, it was at that time where you're much older, so you're, 
you know, like I'm chasing girls and, you know, I got everything else going on. I'm not, not going to be watching the human <laughs> But, you know, I remember that. I like, I haven't, ex- have you explored the she on Netflix since it's- I have. Yeah. I watched through almost the entire first season. I've not seen any more uh, from that point, but I thought it was well constructed. It's very, it's a modern she like it tell it has storytelling styles and characters that are more reflective of the kinds of uh stories that are developed today for uh younger generations it has people who aren't in ideal bodies <laughs> uh yeah. and the the characters are set with younger ages instead of being adult characters and the magical elements it it leans heavily on magical elements uh whereas our original he-man and she-ra you know magic was part of the universe but there was a lot of uh practical stuff too like the swords and mounts that were animals you know things like that it was a lot of like that science fantasy meld with the original he-man because like mm -hmm. man at arms was clearly doing things that were kind of <laughs> that were technological in that weird like jack kirby kind of way of, like when you think of new gods type stuff and, yeah you know very kirby-esque in terms of like uh how all his technology worked oh, that's a good way of putting it i never even made that connection but yeah you're, but yeah you're well right. i mean but then i mean you gotta think about people who were creating it at that point mm-hmm. in time too because like Kirby had a lot of weird sci fantasy stuff that a lot of those uh, those boomers who would have created that would have been very aware of mm-hmm. at that point in time in the, in the creative yeah. side. So I'm sure that influenced too. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because, and, and I was thinking this in terms of Animaniacs, a lot of times when a cartoon is made for a child, there is, they, the creator seems to have in their mind the knowledge okay the adult is also sitting there watching with them probably uh at least in the 80s maybe not quite as much but um these days it it may very well be you know you're a father i I, i'm not sure how your experience has been with that i i i can't speak from my parents point of view but um looking at things like animaniacs that was appealing to adults just as much as it was appealing to kids on a different level like they're just throwing that stuff in there you know well well animaniacs you know and i think i think there's there's a thing now that a lot of people who take over franchises don't get because a lot of times i think now you'll have somebody who comes in with like an sjw attitude who's going to be like we're going to fix it and we're going to flip all the genders and we're going to do this and I'm fine with you creating new characters and I'm fine with you like representing people. Mm-hmm. But if there's a sense of legacy that you probably want to maintain within the story itself, if you don't do that, you're going to alienate a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't blame it on the fact that they don't care for those other people. If you basically just completely disavowed what they liked in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, you know, with, uh, Animaniacs, like you were talking about, I specifically remember cartoons where they would stop and look at the screen and go, we don't get it either, ask your parents. <laughs> you know, or yes. I was watching, my daughter was watching one of the teen dramas she watches 
the other night and the mom was making like a telephone number joke and she like did eight six seven five three oh nine you know and i uh i immediately go, that's an 80s joke that's an 80s joke you know? <laughs> my daughter was watching it and i was like i get it <laughs> you know? but uh yeah it's it's very much you know in terms of like how we uh how we how we handle these things for uh making you know earlier fans not feel completely disenfranchised right, i think right. is an important thing you know like like uh like the new shira do you feel like it's a nice continuation or do you feel like it's kind of a reinvention for a new group definitely a reinvention i mean they're going back and uh telling the story of um a girl who is essentially a soldier a leader of a a group that is in fighting with another group, you know, it's, and then she finds the sword and then she becomes Shira the first time and she has no idea what's going on. And so uh, it, it's not the same at all. <laughs> uh, and the, of course, there's no references to classic He-Man in there either, really, um, at least not in the amount that I've seen. I don't, I don't know if they decided to, you know, start it as its own thing so that it felt new and independent and then maybe went back and dropped in more stuff uh, from the old universe. But I, I don't know. It just, it feels like a completely different thing. I think what they've done is they have this concept that She-Ra is an entity associated with the sword and not necessarily a single individual uh it's you know maybe this sword calls to a new person and a new generation who then comes and fulfills that role uh because in one episode she learns that shira is a famed hero uh for people but she didn't know that before. Uh, so. I wonder if it's easier with a property like uh, yeah. Man and She-Ra and the Masters of the Universe, because with those, the story wasn't the thing in the first place. Mm -hmm. So you're not offending anybody by completely redoing the story and changing things. There's no yeah. established canon that this is all this thing can be. And mm -hmm. like when you mess with it, you're, you know, like you've got to be very careful about how you handle it. It just... You know, it's these guys who are given toys and like now figure out how it all works together. <laughs> tell, right. us, tell us the story, include these elements and then make it work. And so now when you reimagine it years later, you know, like I was I was struck when I watched a few episodes of that that He-Man cartoon when they relaunched. They mm -hmm. actually the opening story like showed you how Skeletor became Skeletor, like a guy losing his faith, oh. and the whole thing. And it was it showed the battle between him and like uh Prince Adam's father and it, it kind of it literally gave you very logical steps in terms of this is why this character acts this way this is why this character mm. acts this way and you know it kind of it filled in more details and you were like oh okay yeah that works for me you know and you know because you had aged too so you were at mm -hmm. a point where the fact that the story had gotten a little bit meatier was mm -hmm. a good place for you to be where you didn't need it like you know painted in four colors and right to give you an impression because you know that's the thing that i always i don't want to be an apologist for the star wars prequels but mm -hmm. i always feel like there was plenty of fans who they had aged up to a point where they wanted those prequel movies to have aged to the same 
level they were at, where they mm. wanted dark Jedis cutting off each other's heads and they wanted <laughs> like violent Game of Thrones-esque type thing. And they went the opposite direction. And they went the opposite direction. They were mm. like, well, in his mind, he was like, Star Wars is for kids and this is what I want to do. And, mm. you know, da, 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 da. You know, and it's not my fault that you're not 11 years old anymore. Right. You know, right. and so there's a little bit of that that I think I can understand, but then at the same time, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about that. <laughs> it really is that is that same thing. I you know, and I it begs the question: Did we have more imagination in our generation, or was it just that we were forced to use our imagination more because there wasn't this complete epic backstory of characters and a universe, you know, world building. And it feels like today's stories are one way or the other. Either they have no universe or the universe is already so complex, there's no room to imagine something different. Yeah, you know, I think definitely <laughs> when we were younger, you know, kind of like the mentality of uh, the fact that, you know, we could go all over the place without worrying about ending up on a milk carton and current children mm -hmm. don't have that luxury because we're overprotective. I definitely feel that a lot of the people who were designing these things at the end of the day would say something like, well, they're kids, let them make up the story. Let them, <laughs> let them have fun with it. Let them be creative. You know, like uh, Marvel Comics had a whole lot of properties that a toy was created with no story. And a writer at Marvel would take the comic, 70, 80 issues. The toy would have long since been defunct, never got another run of action <laughs> figures. But the comic outlives the toy because the story was the thing. You know, mm -hmm. like the Rom Space Knight action figure that Hasbro made, which was terrible. Mm. Rom lasted 70 something issues with Marvel before wow. they, they took back the license. And then there was like those Christ, Christ Star, Christ Star was the same, was the same mm. thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Micronauts, again. Micronauts, yeah. A, a, a terrible toy that didn't last very long, but Marvel <laughs> took it for years and years and years, creating a, a story that went along with it. Mm -hmm. you know, Hasbro has all those things now, and they want to kind of do their own shared universe with its properties. They, they took them all back. Mm, the, the Hasbro cinematic universe? They wanted to do it. <laughs> they wanted to, because, you know, between G.I. Joe and Transformers and all those other properties, well, we saw that with Hanna-Barbera, uh, too. Hanna-Barbera's stories often had crossovers like Flintstones and Jetsons yeah. and <laughs> things like that. That's absolutely, yeah. It's like the, the whole concept that you can put those things together is so exciting for a child that you can, like, just play with all the toys at the same time. You know, oh, yeah. It's so much fun just to have that kind of conceptology because we all did it when we were kids, but then to see it, like, brought alive in video games and you know, and, and movies and properties. Like uh, DC Comics has the rights, or they did until a few years ago, to uh, He-Man. Uh, okay. And I've recently seen where they've had like He-Man crossovers with Thundercats and, you know, uh, Superman with the mm -hmm. he and, you know, and you know, you know, and I, it's not something I would have probably bought, but you know, you can't <laughs> help yourself. You're still gonna pick it up and page through it. Yeah, you know, just the idea of putting all the same toys in the sandbox together is exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? and uh, I think the the other, <laughs> I think the nice thing, probably for a lot of parents with these particular action figures, is those were substantial toys. Mm -hmm. 
if you think about it, it's not like somebody's Star Wars figure that the head's going to come off of it easily. <laughs> you can slide into a pant pocket and forget about, and it's going to go in the washing machine and make your mom mad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, those were like, like if like you were to take a swing at me with a He-Man figure, you'd probably hurt me, you know? <laughs> they were, yeah, they were, they were pretty substantial, especially like anything that had batteries uh, because oh, you yeah. had to make it so heavy uh whatever little technology was in it you know the scale would be so big and so heavy that uh i remember you know this is off off topic but a gi joe tank that took batteries but it was like this super heavy toy (laughs) oh yeah totally yeah that was that was a for real kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah no um what else is on your list what are we supposed to be talking about (laughs) Well, oh, and there was the difference between the Saturday morning cartoon versus the weekday afternoon cartoon. Do you remember that? Like, there were certain cartoons that were always on Saturday mornings. Yeah. And then there was a different series of cartoons that were on afternoons after school. And uh, there wasn't a lot of overlap with those. And I, I don't know if that's because of a different target audience or just how... They scheduled things. Or well, I know like a lot of the stuff that was earlier on on a Saturday morning would be mm-hmm. aimed at the younger kids. Yeah. And then you True. would kind of like, they would kind of like pace it out. So they're thinking like the older kids, you know, by, you know, 11 or whatever, they have a few more things on there for you. That's true. And if they're going for latchkey kids, the, you know, the latchkey ones would be the older kids. But the heavy toy properties were always weekday stuff, you know, like the you know, the way that those were all put together. And now it's tough to go back and watch those He-Man cartoons and see like the terrible animation. <laughs> oh <laughs> yes, speaking <laughs> to what you and know repeated, now. yeah, like repeated, um, like they would choose the same sequence for things, like someone getting up from the ground after they'd been knocked down. It was always the same animation <laughs> repeated over and over. Yeah. That's uh, that's one of those things that, you know, at the time you're thinking this is like the most brilliant thing possible and you haven't, mm-hmm. and it, you know, but even then we were still exposed to like higher quality information. If we'd seen like a Disney film, for instance, yeah, when the animation quality was very high where it's like so many frames per whatever and you're definitely not getting that on those. Uh, no. And they were still, uh, this was back before digital animation. So they're doing oh, all yeah, this yeah. in shell, cell shading and, and uh, drawing by hand. And so reusing content um, was a way of saving time <laughs> just as much as anything. So people are going to be upset if we don't talk about a few things, I think. Uh, Orco. Orco loved orco probably i i don't know he might have been my favorite character i'm not sure i think he was really there to make people laugh and for kids to really have that you know dare i say jar jar binks-esque type of type of type of thing that's like fun Mm -hmm. and silly at the same time since if you think about it the lead characters were really straight i mean they were they They were, were very serious yeah their dimensions weren't deep right you know if you think about it so you needed it's like whenever you see like an ensemble tv series where there's like some like uh 
you know, aging straight actor or actress, you know, they always surround them with a bunch of goofballs so that you have something, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, in terms of, because no one's going to want to watch that person, you know, just do what they do without right. that to play off of or to, uh, to, to create an explaining character type of persona. So I think, I think, or I remember the toy set, like he did magic tricks or something, if I remember correctly. Yes, I do remember there being some uh, magic set Orko and like his head came off uh, or not his hat came off and you would have stuff inside the hat. I don't I don't remember everything with that. I I have just like these little we were young bits of memories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Memory doesn't work the way you think it does when you're a kid. (laughs) It really doesn't. It's like a dark ocean that every once in a while something will emerge, you know, and, <laughs> and show itself off to you when you when you consider it, or you'll, or something will run through the back of your your head, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I never had that particular toy. I just remember being jealous of a friend of mine who got it at a roller skating birthday party, mm-hmm. and like I was like, ah, I, I, it was the other. You know, there was plenty of things that I had, but it was, it was still, I just remember that specifically about that toy. That, and I had uh, a friend who would pick the Ram Man action figure, which was the one that had like a little, yep. you know, uh-huh. like, where he would like, I'm doing something you're not supposed to do on podcasts. I'm doing something with my hand <laughs> like, up and down, like an accordion type of thing. But the idea was for those of you who he did not have- pushed the body down. Pushed his body down. And so, like, you covered up part of his legs, and then you would hit a little thing, and his body would pop up. So it was like he was propelling himself like a ram. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a friend who would take that figure and do it, and, like, while he was talking to you, he would, like, bop you with it, like, <laughs> in the middle of a conversation. And I just remember it being super annoying as a child. <laughs> Whatever oh, that would goodness. happen. Oh, uh, Yes. And I, you know, we, we had a lot of the toys for sure, but I have to admit something and hopefully my brother will not fault me for this. uh, As I admit that my mom looked to me to help make decisions on what to buy for my brother sometimes uh, because my brother wouldn't say anything or maybe he wasn't with us or, or whatever. So I did do a lot of influencing on what my mom (laughs) ended up buying for my brother for toys and um, hopefully he can forgive me and he doesn't look back and and think that maybe uh, I I was being too manipulative. (laughs) Well there's always a little bit of that. (laughs) I'm like you want the sorceress? Yes he wants the sorceress the one with the bird, the bird sorceress. That that was really cool to me. Oh, the one who lived in uh, Castle Grayskull. Mm-hmm. It was a later, she was, I think she she must have been a later addition to the toys. I have a feeling they were like, yeah, let's make a few more girl toys. <laughs> yep, probably. Because in the beginning, you only had Tila, and then eventually you got the sorceress. Evil, and Evil, Evil Lynn, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much it. It was them three. <laughs> Yeah, and oh, I have to definitely bring up that the current generations, whether or not they have seen the show, recognize Skeletor and He-Man, like especially Skeletor, because he's been in so many memes 
Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's there's a lot of stuff that people have done with Skeletor. You know, mm-hmm. Will Wheaton had a show briefly that was like a this week in sci-fi kind of thing that was on the uh-huh. sci-fi. Thing. And one of the bits was something with Skeletor talking. Oh, yes. Okay. It was either the original voice actor or a voice actor who sounded exactly like, you know, the original, but would kind of do, because Skeletor, the guy who was, uh, the guy who was the voice actor had a wonderful Mm -hmm. cartoon villain voice. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful cartoon villain voice. You know, it was really up there in terms of making that engaging and, and interesting, which again was my compliment for the, the actor who uh, portrayed him in the, uh, the movie as well, who I mm-hmm. probably should have looked up earlier. <laughs> we were talking about that. Everyone's Googling it right now. They're listening to the podcast and they're just Googling. Yeah. And then they're just <laughs> going to comment on the podcast. Hey, you didn't look up things. I'm like, yes, we have Google. We just well, didn't use it before we recorded. <laughs> but it, it's that whole thing that he's the sort of villain that's a great mustache twirling villain if he wasn't yeah you know and but he also has comedy there's also a little comedy bits and comedy of course yeah which which made him in a way endearing (laughs) Uh, right like like, it's like you have these flawed villains who are funny at times or that the help that they have is incompetent enough to always foil their plans and Mm -hmm. yeah and screw everything up so there's that there's that aspect of you where, you know, I think even as a child, if you feel like somebody else messed something up for you, you can identify with Skeletor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, At the end of every episode, and it was kind of a trope of, of cartoons at the time, I think, where you show the villains after the main events uh, lamenting about their failure yet again (laughs) and that the he-man uh and she-ra both um had that part of their formula is that at the end of the episode you would see something amusing from the bad guys all sitting back and contemplating their failures (laughs) usually skeletor yelling at somebody (laughs) which probably makes sense in a way that I always thought that the He-Man action figure looked like Lex Luger, who was a popular wrestler at that point in time in the 80s, because mm-hmm. the storylines themselves are very much like the storylines of wrestling and that they're very mm. simplistic, good versus evil type stuff, you know, that's, that's meant there to be a, a pantomime for, for children so that you get the bigger concepts and no one's weighing you down with too much, too much detail things like so you know who you're supposed to cheer for and you know and you're excited about action and you're you laugh at the jokes that you understand and <laughs> you kind of you kind of get that development and you kind of get like uh the uh the doobie equivalent of your introduction to sword and sorcery mm-hmm. at that point in time <laughs> that's a marijuana joke for people out there that's what i'm saying that, that's like an introductory to to like harder stuff for people right yeah. oh i remember oh it's probably been 15 years or so where it was about the time youtube was just coming out people were doing a lot of little skeletor uh things like meme-ish stuff and that might have corresponded with will Wheaton's series I'm, I'm not sure uh i can't remember 
there, there was a, a particular series I'm trying to remember the name of, but I can't remember it right now, but essentially just Skeletor uh, jokes <laughs> or oh. things adapt, adapted to be, you know, jokes with Skeletor in them in some form or fashion. It was great. Um, another meme that took off was someone taking the song What's Up uh, and using Prince Adam uh, clips of, <laughs> to make it look like he was the one singing the song. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, That's great. Well, there's been a lot. And I remember there was, there was something that was going around that had He-Man and Skeletor redoing the ending from uh, Dirty Dancing. Oh, wow. Okay, I'd like to see that one. Yeah, I have to look that one up. That one's out there. There was a cartoon series that was briefly on VH1, which was like an anthology. I want to say it was on VH1. Don't quote me on this, kids. But (laughs) where they would do different uh, little segments that were obviously aimed at our generation. Right. And uh, they had one. It was right when the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was on television. Mm Mm-hmm. And they showed up and they redid it like they were they were gonna be remaking uh Prince Adam's like abode in Castle Grayskull. Oh and when they showed up, you know, and he's in like the He-Man outfit and everything, one of the one of the characters asked, he said, Did did another group of gay designers come before us? <laughs> <laughs> you know? That says a lot right there. Right there. It's, it's like, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> you know, let's, well, let's... yeah, I mean, at a time where, you know, being gay was associated with particular stereotypes. So, yeah, you know, it, it was still, you know, a difficult position for someone to come out uh, at that time. Uh, um, the top heavy metal singers who uh, uh, had uh, had come out and he had kind of, uh, brought in the whole thing about wearing the leather and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and, and the chains and things like that, which we, you know, to some extent we associate with like the barbarian mythos and, and those yeah. kind of things too. And, you mm-hmm. know, so you have certain images that people will, they'll extrapolate on top of something fairly or not fairly, mm-hmm. you know, right. you know not, not allowing people to, to function as they are and, and, uh, and whatever way that they identify in terms of how they, they want to dress and how they want to be mm-hmm. but uh but yeah it's you know it's 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 funny how if you think about it how we make those associations out of things that when they were originally crafted were things that were trying so hard to be super masculine right it's true <laughs> If you think about it, I mean, because like those oiled up barbarian images and all that, these are guys who are like, oh, we are super, super masculine. It's like this right. whole Spartan ideal, you know, this whole like, oh, you know, and all these kind of things. And then immediately in a modern context, our minds go, well. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, that whole idea of um, the fact that if you're attracted to a male, that's attractive regardless of what gender you are so it's funny but you know i mean it, it also shows you know how things of course change over time and, oh, yeah. uh, and what you know uh what sort of tropes and what sort of uh you know uh cultural stick 
stigmas existed. You never think when you're young because you think everything's so much more advanced at the time when you're like, oh, of course, we're so enlightened you know, about how we feel about things. And then 30 years pass and you're like, no, nah, I guess we weren't that enlightened. Mm, right, <laughs> about exactly. What we about how we feel about anything. You know? Oh, it's, it's hard to watch some of these things that I watched when I was a kid and think, oh my God, how did that subconsciously shape some of the ways that I think about things? But to be uh, fair, now we're even, we're making changes, you know, not all even so much in a yearly or like sometimes it can even change within the course of a few months, how people yeah, feel about something. That's you true. Know, now, since uh, With social the internet. media connects mm -hmm. us so much more than it ever has for, for mm -hmm. those kind of feelings. I was just, you know, I'll watch some beloved 80s movies with my daughter sometimes, mm -hmm. and she'll make commentary that always cracks me up because it'll be things I haven't thought of. We were watching the Goonies, and she was like, you know, like, why, where are their parents? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and I don't know if you've been watching Stranger Things, but... Yes. It's interesting that Stranger Things is not only set in the 80s, but the way that the show is written and produced is very reminiscent of the 80s. And that's directly our age bracket, those kids. Yeah. Right there. Yep. That's directly like our age bracket. So it's it's too it's too funny where you'll see the things and go, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I would have been one of those classmates right there. <laughs> I, I've had you know, being like a big fantasy nerd myself, like I even said, watching one of the episodes, I was like, those boys would have had a copy of Margaret Wise and Tracy Hickman's Dragonlance, you know, yep. the, the Autumn Twilight, the first paperback, they would have had that somewhere on a table or out. I was, <laughs> I was thinking specifically, like, which things that I would have thought about at that particular age, mm -hmm. being that kind of geek myself. I've I've just been I've been delighted with that show in general and I encourage oh, yeah. any, anyone to see it it's just for the nostalgia alone the little things they drop in there like what movie they're going to see at a particular time you know you know what the month and year is and usually you know what day it is oh, um yeah. on the calendar so you can actually look up to see was that in the theater then and yes it came out that weekend like they were watching um back to the future the weekend it came out uh they there was a full moon on halloween in 85 i think it was and they showed that <laughs> so, and what's considered permissible for that the current generation mm -hmm. you know it's so different between us and them, you know, the things that we are, uh, we were allowed to watch, they're probably not allowed to at certain age brackets today. True. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know the original season of Sesame Street on DVD has a mature label warning on it? Does it? Oh, yeah. I had no because by idea. current standards, uh -huh. they talk about and do things that Today would be a huge no-no. On one of the first episodes, there's like a little girl who's lost and Gordon takes her back to his house for milk and cookies to do that. Uh -huh. And Stranger Danger people now it completely blow that up. Oh, you know? that's but true. It, it was totally innocent, yeah. you know? It was totally innocent, man, yeah. In, in terms of how it was done. And Cookie uh -huh. Monster comes off like baby's first addict. Oh, you know? wow. 
in the yeah. first season, but it's like a, it's it's amazing, like how how much that's changed. But, but to be fair, I mean, we grew up by time, you know, like from even that time frame of uh, when the He-Man cartoons were on television. Mm-hmm. You know, like within a few years, you had your first. You know, people had their first cable boxes and stuff like that in the house, and there was no way for our parents to police all the new stimulus that was coming in on a regular that's true. for us mm-hmm. you know because we were we had, we had access to cable television we had you mtv know, tv we were getting so much <laughs> more information than they could possibly fathom that's and true. you know like and like we were getting great stuff that was young adult stuff at the same time is like seeing a horror movie or something that was a little too adult for us probably at that point in time, you know? <laughs> I was, yeah, we were kind of blocked from that quite, quite emphatically. Uh, there were a lot of movies that people consider iconic 80s movies that I didn't see until the 90s. I didn't see until college or later even because it was just not allowed in our house (laughs) so they they did police some i I mean it was in our house it was a situation where we only had one television so the policing naturally happened because of that um i knew a lot of friends though that had their own tvs in their own rooms you know and their own cable boxes and whatever they could watch whatever they wanted and yeah i i was just not one of those people so it's my brother got a little tv that Mm -hmm. we didn't have cable on but we were allowed to have like the the local which is where we mostly watched he-man in our bedroom Mm -hmm. it it, it would be that like we would have like the we would have that because it was the tv that we got that was for hooking up the atari 2600 Oh, yes. We we finally got a second TV. My brother got a TV for the Nintendo NES, so I can relate. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> the it second was TV kind of came a, for the console. That, that's why you got it, for the console, so you could play that. But that was, you know, and then, like, you know, my dad wasn't going to get cable in another room, but for sure, mm. like, that was, so, like, they the adults could still control their TV. That's when we would watch our cartoons and stuff. And, mm-hmm. And those kind of things but yeah and he-man was definitely one of them i can i can clearly picture myself you know sitting on my bed with with that directly across from me on the television set you know so like what was the big what was the big excitement for you to specifically talk about the uh, masters of the universe line because you know what your audience doesn't know is how emphatically that was at the top of your list among other things that you were going to talk about to the point where <laughs> we were going to like, do, cause I'd wanted to do a podcast with you for a while. When I saw the, the Gen X, yep. brand, I was like, Oh, that is so me. I totally want to get in there with her on that and talk about some stuff. But it's like, you know, you have your organized little spreadsheet that you, you put out and it's kind of like if somebody wants to hide something, but they can't help, you know what it is. It's like, <laughs> Oh my God, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> And I'm like, well, we clearly have to talk about that. (laughs) Well, I loved it. I I really did love it. It, I mean, I pictured myself in the fantasy world of Eternia quite a bit uh, at that age and, you know, kind of wanted to be in that universe. You know, like it was coming out when I was around 10 to 12 years old, you know, and then going into my teens as She-Ra came out. 
Um, that makes sense, you know, yeah. because that's like right at the age where you're most impressionable mm -hmm. about like uh, those kind of stories and like the kind of like right and wrong and here's a hero and here's a heroine that I like and yeah. you know, it's kind of because the kids, the Gen Xers who are, I think are about four years older than us maybe, mm -hmm. I think for them it probably would have been the Super Friends cartoon. Oh, I loved Super Friends. Because we were oh, exposed to yes. it too, but we would have been really little. Yeah, right, When right. it first came out, you yes. know, and I liked it too. But I've, I've talked to other friends, you know, who are maybe, they've got four years on us or so. And, and a lot of the girls in a similar fashion felt the way about Wonder Woman that you, in that cartoon. Who was, she was kind of like, I'm the yeah. girl who can do everything and I'm going to hang out in the boys club and show them what's what, you know. Right, kinda, exactly. Kinda yeah. Like that. Tila kind of fulfilled that same role within the He-Man universe mm -hmm. a few years later at the same time, you know, so it's very interesting because, and again, similar quality cartoons. <laughs> right, exactly. Back in the Hall of Justice. <laughs> That's the greatest emceeing ever right there is the yes. analysis between uh, uh, the, uh, the Super Friends uh, bits. Yeah, I think that Masters of the Universe is just like you said, you know, it's a time of influence and imprinting. And of course, my mom bought me Barbies and I was abandoning Barbies to go play with my brother's toys. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much that said about me, but I, I think, you know, I think parents worried too much at that time about, you know, what things like that would say uh, my mom wanted but, me to like girl things and to be girly and ladylike but, but I know, just wanted to play fair, with my brother <laughs> what I know of you as a person though you have a great mm -hmm. attraction to storylines yes and Barbie that Barbie why like gives ideals for girls to pursue and it's mm -hmm. modernized over time you know for different career paths and things right. like that there's not really a story Oh yeah, I loved the story. Like I, I was always um, excited about characters. You know, yeah. every character had uh, a backstory, and I, I always loved when they would go and tell some story about Eternia's back, early history, or the royal family's backstory, or or you would get some kind of new character introduced uh, that you know they would take time to tell his backstory so i did kind of long for episodes where we got you know history and backstory and world build building that's the thing yeah. as you get older that you appreciate you know because when you're right at that first peak age you're looking at castle grayskull going yep that's castle grayskull that's where this <laughs> is yeah and onward and then you get a little bit older and you're like but why is castle grayskull <laughs> Why is it there? Yeah. Why is the sword there? How can you go to other dimensions through Castle Grayskull? Why does the sorceress live there? <laughs> you know? More than once, more than once, my mom caught me off guard when I was, you know, playing with the toys and telling a story. And I had a whole story that the toys were playing through. And I remember when mom would catch me, I would be embarrassed and like, be like, Whew, I hope she didn't hear what I was talking about. <laughs> I guess I was working my problems out in my stories. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a concept I refer to as Japanese rock garden. 
Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think we Makes do sense. it as adults, you know. We do that as a child with the different toys we're playing with. Mm -hmm. But for some people, like you get older and it can be an organizational activity as well, you mm -hmm. know. Because, you know, Japanese rock gardens, they rake the rocks and they stare at them. But I remember my, my brother, as a little kid, he would play with all his matchbox cars and he would race them and he would smash them up and stuff. But then he would do that thing where he would line them all up by color or whatever. And then he would put them away one at a time and he would have this little, little zen look on his face <laughs> while he was doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we all have hobbies where we do something or we organize or we choose things or we lose ourselves in story or... Yes game or what have you and that's what we're doing we're we're uh we're using that to settle our mind in whatever way you know and, mm -hmm. and if it's story when we're younger the simpler stories appeal to us and then when yeah. we get you know do you find i find that i find that when i'm watching something and if i don't want to think i don't want to watch anything too complicated i want to mm -hmm. watch something that's like mind candy that i can just watch <laughs> and it's just you know, it's not, if I'm in a mood, like, I can't watch, like, The Expanse or something like that unless I'm, like, locked down and ready to You're watch right. it. You're right. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. You know? I mean, and I would say... So the it requires brain. Yeah, you, it totally requires brain. You're not going to get through that. Like, but, like, something like The Masters of the Universe, it's, it, that's, that's easy mind candy for a mm -hmm. kid, you know, like, black and white. Doo, doo, doo. Some people will only watch comedies or things for the same reason, because mm -hmm. they don't want to. You know, and I think, uh, I think that aspect, of, I don't know, I don't know as far as, you know, beyond our generation, if it's going to still have much resonance in the cultural zeitgeist, if right. uh, it's not reinvented, because it's not, because uh, these aren't characters like uh, Batman or Superman that have stood the test of time now for 80 years that keep getting right. reinvented over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. you know? Where, who are you to say? what is the real version of Superman or Batman? Right. You know, who are you to say, you know, like it's- Yeah, you're, reboot, you're doing a new origin or a new reboot every couple of years or so with a yeah. new author and new artists. Yeah. Which means the character stands the test of time and change, mm -hmm. you know, and that was so, it was, it was, uh, it was a creation that was associated with a toy brand. It was mm -hmm. bubblegum entertainment for us as children. Yeah. At that point in time in the 80s, it gave us an es some escapism. It gave us some magic, some comedy, some fantasy at mm -hmm. that point in time. But it didn't really have anything deep to say that you couldn't say in an after-school special. Like, <laughs> right. you know, like Jenny eat something or Jenny mm -hmm. don't do drugs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah it was, it was, right. it was those kind of messages in the great scheme of things. And mm -hmm. it didn't try it didn't try to do a lot more. And so right. so if somebody if somebody carries it farther, I don't know I don't know what that No. <laughs> I mean, much in contrast to that would be something like Transformers, which was completely revitalized with yeah. the live action films and you know, has a fandom that in many ways was either either started with the cartoons and was reinvigorated by the films or started with the films because maybe they weren't old enough or, uh, to have experienced the cartoons first. So He-Man and the Masters of the Universe would have to have something profound that 
people actually liked to reinvent the story completely if it was going to stand that test of time, I think. Uh, I think the, the new She-Ra is on the right track with that, I think, at least for the female audience or the audience who is not concerned about trying to put themselves in the car- cartoon or whatever. Because we do, we do as children tend to watch things that we can put ourselves into, uh, which is a whole conversation for another, <laughs> the, another time, because uh, an, anime is designed that way. Um, but yeah, the uh, with He Man, I mean, it would have to be He Man. It would have to be Skeletor. There would have to be, you know, some familiar faces, but it would have to be completely retold. Uh, and I don't think that the film that we got for it back in the day was ready to tell that kind of story. Oh, um, gosh, no. no. I mean, yeah, a, a real arc would have to be created, a real hero's mm-hmm. journey type of, type of story. And whether or not it's the right time for that type of story, you know, that's, that's the question because, yeah. you know, I don't know that that's necessarily the sort of character that resonates with the current type of climate or environment that we have right now in types of, in terms of the the sort of thing, but you know, that's it. Mm -hmm. It's about reimagining and and where uh, someone would go with it, you know, for a new generation. I would welcome it though, whatever someone decides to do. I always welcome new creative minds being put into uh, old uh, franchises that, that, to me is exciting. I don't resist it at all because I like to see where new creative minds can take something. Uh, I may not like the end product, but I still welcome them giving it a try for sure. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate what you were saying about the new She-Ra cartoon with the, mm-hmm. uh, the different body types and different types of characters and different lifestyle uh, people who are involved with it. Yeah. But you know, they brought back He-Man itself as a property. I don't know if I'd accept it if the action figures didn't all look like they were on board. <laughs> I feel like that's that's a key part of it. <laughs> I have to go back and do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and all the females had the the absolute perfect breasts, and uh, <laughs> well, yes. I mean. I mean, but if you're going to do it in a modern context, I feel like you almost have to make fun of it at the same time. If you're going to do it, because then... A farcical. Yeah, it's farcical. So then you let people in on the joke and they're comfortable with it, you know, where you have characters who are like, I can't bend over and pick that up because I'm too roided out on my muscles. (laughs) It's so funny. You know, if I say Space Ghost to people today some people won't even realize that space ghosts was a cartoon it was more when than we that. were kids yeah they just remember space ghost coast to coast and the the whole use of space ghost and his various uh enemies uh to create recreate or, or create actually a brand new uh format fun comedy and with you know people who are now iconic uh as voicing those roles uh and <laughs> now i'll give you more way off topic stuff for you to be able to cut but i uh <laughs> you know when i was growing up i those hanna Barbera quasi superhero 
cartoon shows like Space mm. Ghost. And it was the barbarian that lived on the planet with his family. Mm -hmm. was the other one. Cause, and they were like the two globs that were part of it, that were like yeah, yeah. part of him. And there was another one. There was like there was like a handful of them, and there was a there was a local hosted kids show when I was mm -hmm. very young. We're talking we're talking kindergarten, first grade, easy. Okay. It was called Barney's Army in Raleigh. Oh. And Carrie, and it would be like some like drawing like animation because somebody would be moving lips on or something like that. And that was I know what you're talking about. We that was, got that as well, because I, I lived close enough to Raleigh that we were watching Raleigh's channels. I remember that. And yes. he basically hosted going between those cartoon clips on an after. My parents yeah. had their first TV. It was a black and white TV, you know, that they had purchased. And it was like, you know, four or five. And they watched, I watched Barney's Army on a TV mm -hmm. tray that they had that was out. And at one point in time, the host of the show, moved away and so Aww. they did a different cartoon illustration of his cousin bernie oh and, and then the show became that. bernie's army and that was, <laughs> you know but I, I distinctly remember that that was my introduction to those specific cartoons at that point in time yeah. that was Great a form that's a form of puppetry actually uh that they did for that show that i didn't learn about until years later uh that that that's actually live puppetry Oh, it had a video game that was like mm -hmm. Pong level, of course, at the time. <laughs> and it was like, uh, it was called the POW game. And uh, basically like a block would fly across the screen, like a little mm -hmm. like pixelized block. And you would be on the phone and you would have to say POW. And if you said POW at the right time, you hit the block with another little block. <laughs> and then you, you won something. And I remember I got to do the pal game like they call and of course i didn't get it but i got they sent me a t-shirt <laughs> a little kid that's good that's great that i like specifically you made me go deep right there <laughs> yeah oh we we are definitely reaching back for sure well i think we can wrap uh wrap up this topic i'm i'm sure that other memories will pop in my head later that I'll be like, oh, darn, we didn't talk about that one thing. You know, it always happens. But, you know, that's I, I'd love folks who listen to this podcast to give me their memories of uh, Masters of the Universe. Any any unique things that we didn't talk about that was special to you? I'd love to hear those stories. Well, uh, Frankie, tell folks where uh, they can find you on out on the social platforms. Okay. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I am on the Twitters, and uh, and you know, and I knew you were going to ask me that, and like right <laughs> when you were doing up to it, I was like, let me make sure I know my stuff. It's <laughs> at Dance Frankie H, and that's Frankie with an I E. You can find me there on Twitter. Uh, you can also, if you want to check me out as a professional dance instructor, you can find me at dancefrankie.com. And uh, if you want to talk to me about your real estate needs, you can find me at Frankie Hagen. Oh, sorry. Is it Frank? Yeah, it's frankiehagen.com out there on the internet as well. I've got all that out there. And uh, on, on Facebook, you know, uh, Frankie Hagen. 
you know, if you want to shoot me a line or ask me any questions about anything, you can do so at thefrankiehagen at gmail.com. Well, I will make sure that all that gets into the podcast description and I will drop all mine in there as well. Awesome. Well, hey, this was so much fun talking yeah. to you about, uh, about roided up action figures in the cartoon <laughs> that, that go along with them. <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. I, I love doing this. and I, I hope that folks really enjoy listening to it, too. Thank you for tuning in to this throwbacks episode of Gen X Replays After the Show podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss our next throwbacks episode and our other after the show discussions. Currently, we host on Anchor.fm and aggregate to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, let others know where to find us so we can keep boosting the signal on this podcast. Check the show description for where to find us out on the social networks and follow us so you don't miss a beat. Until next episode, be safe out there.